0: hello and welcome to uh subspace radio it's me kevin and me rob and if i sound a little different it's because i'm coming to you from a secret holiday destination and i don't have my regular mic with me but we're doing the best we can rob you can't stop the signal
1: i know i'm using another reference from a different franchise but oh is that that is from serenity so that is uh, Oh of
0: course it is. The
1: the final in the Firefly series that they tried to carry on into movies it just couldn't it couldn't stick even though it was a, a brilliant show. Can't stop the I single. loved it.
0: Uh we'll have to do a Serenity cast sometime when we run out of Star Trek episodes
1: there, to watch. Look there are some brown coats out there who would who would be very excited to hear that. <laughs> but this week we are talking
0: about the season finale or finales depending on how you slice it. Of Star Trek: Prodigy season one, Supernova parts one and two,
1: and the real, um, actual finale, as opposed to the mid-season finale that seemed like yes. the end of a season finale yes. halfway through. Yeah, yeah, think well, we're on track now, Nickelodeon. You've done good. That's how you do a season finale. Nothing is the same again after this one. Nothing at all. No, but yes. And how did you, in in general terms, and the, as a first impression, how did you find this as a season finale? We've done so many season finales, you and I. This is our third
0: so. Yeah, gosh, just in such quick succession. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great culmination to the season. The moment-to-moment watching of it, like having watched it twice now, I enjoy it more as I'm watching it than reflecting on it. I don't know if that means anything, but I think that's probably what you want is to enjoy the actual watching. And this is an enjoyable watch for sure. Yeah, it was – it brought – a lot of, there were a lot of bookends in this where that reached way back to the very first episode. And I was like, wow, this is, even though they gave it to us in two big chunks, it was clear they planned this whole season out from beginning to end and planted some seeds at the start that would only pay off in this final chapter. And it feels like satisfying TV to me. How about you, Rob?
1: Yeah, yeah, really loved it. And really, uh, some really nice emotional beats in there that hit a lot better than they possibly should have and um really nice setup and not only paying off things that have been established in the season before or leading up to it but also some nice setup for where we are going to go which is um gosh yeah some big promises yeah big promises and especially while i was watching this season i'm going where do they go where can this actually go is it because it's been defined by this structure of, you know, those uninitiated embracing Starfleet from the outside. So it's gonna be very interesting to see. Does it just become just a regular another regular Star Trek show? Or does yeah and lose what was so unique and special about it? Or does it go to that next level? It's gonna be very interesting to see.
0: Yeah. There were some moments in this where I was watching the action and I was like, wow, there's a lot of spaceship eye candy here of ducking and weaving and Be in a dogfight with the Defiant. Hello, Hello. Deep Space Nine fans. Very
1: happy, very happy here. We we did our nod. We did our our clasped hands together going, thank you. Thank you so much, Defiance here. We love you.
0: The Enterprise-E is buried in that armada somewhere as well. You don't get a great look at it, but there are some freeze frames online that (laughs) spot the registry number on a a rapidly passing nacelle. And so they were there, which is good to see them post-Nemesis
1: as well. Look. Now, your influence over me is becoming more and more apparent the more we do this, Kevin, because you dropped a little thought worm into my head and it just stayed with me the whole time, especially when we had the epicness of part one of Supernova. I'm there going, logically and policy-wise, this wouldn't happen. But because of the plot point of them needing to have all the Federation ships And calling every federation ship. And they went, oh, this is such such federation policy. I'm going, because it's just one ship. There should have just been at least one or two ships to have the entire armada. That's the only way the plot, and I'm doing inverted commas again, could happen. So I was all the way through going, Yep, there's a lot of eye candy here. There's a lot of explosions and a high body count as well. Like for a Nickelodeon show, I'm going, <laughs> the Star Trek exec shuffled in and went, okay, our time, we can do this now. Oh, yeah. They bring
0: in the Klingons. I was thought those Klingons are the friendliest Klingons I have ever seen in Star Trek. And they get- responded- yeah, Ray, minutes later, the bird of prey is like breaking apart in front of us. I was like, oh no.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just there going, this is a dumb move. It's just happening for plot purposes. In reality, you would only have one or two ships there. That would be more than enough to outnumber you know, this, what they know of the protostar and the gang there. But it led to this completely really dramatic and tense, well-written episode one, like you had All hope was lost. Then they used their ingenuity to come up with this great idea, and that started to work. And then the next kicker to bring to the cliffhanger brought everything down. So yeah, um, yeah, jumping ahead.
0: uh... That final sting of we got the Klingons and the other races to come and rescue us. It's like the classic friendship solves everything sort of Nickelodeon solution. And then they go, oh, no, the computers aren't playing ball. The automated distress calls are bringing in more Federation ships and it's not going to work. Yeah. To be continued. It was a, yeah, a gut punch. To end with the
1: line, total annihilation is a hell of a way to finish off. A Nickelodeon episode. Can I just say? I don't yeah. know if Rocco's Modern Life ed- ever finished with an episode <laughs> like that.
0: The, I feel like the first part was the ship battles episode, yeah, yeah. and Supernova Part Two was the character payoffs episode. And, and it, it worked
1: well. And it definitely showed that it was like we are in the land of television because they resolved it quite quickly, not conveniently, not in an easy way. It's a very efficient way of doing it and getting to that point and hitting those emotional points, but then we had that luxury of the remaining half of the episode to be like the epilogue of the episode Mm -hmm. a month later and the trial and the deliberation and then the goodbyes and then the, it just like we're in a movie, you'd end with them being rescued and that was it. But they went, no, we're television. We can take that time to really explore their ventures, their first steps on actual, on the the streets of San Francisco. Yeah.
0: A highlight for me was the character puzzle in the hallway. When our crew comes face to face with Dreadnought in the hallway and he pins, you know, he gives the gravity mine and he he freezes Murph against the wall and electrocutes Zero and pins Dahl against the wall with the little boomerang thing. Yeah. And then they had to figure out how to work together to to extract themselves from it. Lovely little moment of just here they are. They only succeed together. It was almost too cute, but <laughs> as a like a reinforcing moment of just how much they've grown together and worked together. Well, I really love that payoff.
1: It does balance it out when you've got that almost too cute for its own good. Working as a team will solve everything and then you yeah. realise in the background there's just uh carcasses of Federation ships everywhere. And so
0: it's a balance that I think they did all right. Bringing back the translators failing and them not being able to communicate with each other. That's another example of the book ending of the series. They, these characters started not being able to understand each other and got a taste of that at the end here as well.
1: And not um, that much of a problem for them because it was, quite, it was solved quite quickly by Gwen, yeah, who's Gwyn proving herself it, yeah. over and over again to be a far more qualified captain
0: one of those camera passing over the shoulder into a non-literal depiction of the events with gwyn speaking in english to the klingons even though we are to understand she is speaking in klingon to them very clever um, yeah really good so yeah and ronnie cox was back for a little bit as well yes i now understand why admiral Jellico is in this series he was here to make one poor decision in the finale which is to send the boarding party in, uh, despite despite Janeway's uh, understanding of the situation.
1: Running Cox is um, fast becoming the uh, Jar Jar Binks of Star Trek. We go, who's going to be the poor schmuck that lets the Emperor stay on for this time? Ugh. Well, who's the poor schmuck who's going to send the boarding party on?
0: I assume Admiral Jellicoe does some good things too, but at least on screen... His career is not the most illustrious, but it doesn't seem to have kept him from moving up in the ranks. Look,
1: we are all the lead characters in our own story, in our own life, obviously, and I'm sure Jellico has his incredible moments in his own spin-off that he has in his head. But will anybody tune in to watch the Jellico spin-off series? I think not. Um, as a shock death, I didn't expect, I knew that- the, the Diviner. I knew the Diviner's death was probably going to come, but I didn't expect it to be- I thought it was going to happen in part two of Supernova, but oh, yeah, right. yeah, but, yeah,
0: spear to the spear to the uh, off-screen yeah. <laughs> midsection It always gets you in animation, doesn't it? That
1: non-disclosed midsection.
0: He died pretty easy, I have to say. Like, given that he was found floating in the remains of his asteroid by Janeway and crew, and revived, the fact that one one spear to the middle was enough to
1: do him in. That was felt a little, yeah, it was a, a little, little bit and easy. Bit. They want to get rid of John Noble really quickly for some reason. So I don't know what they've got against him. But yes, but we did get a very much, uh, relating back to Star Wars, a very much a Darth Vader at the end of New Hope. We had the Diviner flying off for further missions or causing further mischief, which we will have to hopefully explore. The
0: Vindicator. Yes. That whole, the whole like sword fight on the bridge with the like camera often panning outside of the bridge, seeing them jumping on the platforms through glass. It did have a very Empire Strikes Back final battle with Darth Vader. Yes. Like it, it felt like the lightsaber battle to me.
1: And we had been building up for that because the Vindicator had been getting through getting away with so much. We wanted yeah, there yeah. to be some sort of, come on, Gwen, just kick her ass. But, oh, she's, she
0: relishes being evil in <laughs> just the right amount of punchability. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Where they're like, you're going to pay for this. And she goes, oh, maybe, but not today. And steps back into the robot. It was just like, oh yeah, we're going to enjoy her come
1: on. Yeah. She's enjoying putting a bit more pepper on those lines, especially in that particular episode, like with beaming aboard and she was knocking out the Federation guy and all that type of stuff. She was. Oh, and, and Dreddor did a judo chop. Oh, yes. <laughs> All <laughs> the things he could have too. done, he does a judo chop. But yes, we then get to, how did you find the the solution in part two of the only way to save the day is to use the weakness of the protostar and its strength at the same time?
0: Yeah, it works in the moment But this is what I was talking about before, that on reflection, I find it a little unsatisfying Mm. just that they could have done that at any point in the past year. (laughs) If the goal is to save the Federation or save Starfleet from this virus, yes, self-destruct the ship. Uh, Apparently, that was something available to them all this time, but they didn't do it until they had no other choice. No other choice. Yeah, I guess is okay. There was a lot of when Zero explains the plan and they, on the bridge, like summon the 3D wireframe image of the ship shooting and exploding in pieces a- along the route. Yeah. And then later in part two, J- Janeway, when addressing the Federation Council, just in the middle of a speech, summons a hologram of the protostar ship in the middle of the conference room. There is a significant amount of people summoning improvised holograms to make points in the middle of conversations then i'm like who like who drew that like when did you draw that
1: (laughs) they did have a month between so there's clearly there's a lot to do and start there's a whole section to prepare every form of every known hologram imaginable to be presented but
0: i think it's just i think it's an expediency of storytelling when you've got a 30 minute cartoon and you've got to get it through a certain amount of plot it's handy just to go look at this it explains it without going please join me in the conference room so i can show you a presentation i prepared earlier it's It's just the let's get to it let's get to it
1: it's the old problem conundrum within any sci-fi show is that is there going to be the whiteboard or the blackboard moment like in back to the future 2 where doc brown literally gets a blackboard out to explain time travel and alternate dimensions so yeah it was very much that case of zero going here we go right here and it just so happens to come out when i need it and and not only and the two different wormholes comparing it and they look exactly the same because of course they do yep yep we're well into
0: part two here so i think it's probably worth talking about what to me is the heart of this two parter is hollow Janeway's sacrifice of herself to save the crew that the moment she realizes she doesn't fit on the isolinear chip and you see exactly what she's going to do they don't have to explain it to you until afterwards when they're explaining it to the kids what has happened really like great writing great performance great animation all working together there to create what even on second viewing to me was like a knot in my stomach of this emotional end of a character that is just a training simulation, yeah. but it pulled the heartstrings real, real well for me. Well, it
1: was, and definitely a clever use of time jumping within narrative structure, because obviously Janeway finds out this has enough time to record the farewell mm. message and then mm. Dahl comes in, whereas it jumps ahead to cut out that part so we don't know until that point
0: but yeah what but as she's lying to them and saying don't worry I'll be there with you take the chip Mulgrew's like perhaps oh. I think maybe Mulgrew's best dramatic performance th- that I can remember it I- right now anyway of the saying it'll be fine and walking that tight balance that we as the audience can spot the emotion in her voice but the characters can't beautiful dramatic tension there
1: Look, it is a gift. It is a gift that we as Star Trek fans have been given Kate Mulgrew. And the fact that she has blessed us by coming back to do this shows that we do not deserve her and we should appreciate her for all that she is. And she's always been overlooked. And I'm so grateful that Prodigy, this little quirky weird show that i had no idea about that i would get this invested into and a lot of other star trek fans as well is giving this platform to not only an incredible character but a wonderful performer and giving that chance to shine again and hopefully that gets people to appreciate in retrospect to go back and rewatch voyager and see what they missed out on because yeah just her vocal work as i said before she's done voiceover work with a character work before with the animated series of Batman. So she's showing her expertise, not only as a Mm. performer, but specifically as a voiceover actor.
0: A master of the craft.
1: Master. Master. We do not deserve her, but we have her. So let's relish her and praise her.
0: The scenes without dialogue of the crew jumping into the improvised shuttlecraft and being like sucked out of the cargo bay at an odd angle and tumbling away from the ship it's all played without dialogue and the music is doing an amazing job there of making us feel the moment feel the loss
1: and you feel the Uh, weight of the ship as well because like it's front it's it's good it's front rudder is out and so it's being dragged out because it's just a copy so it has no impulse engines or anything it's just the barest minimum they don't even have seat belts grab (laughs) onto a hang onto a pole and grab onto your butts Ah. ah, it's
0: so good. What does it remind me of? It reminds me, here's a deep cut. Good. It reminds me of Apollo 13. Hey. When the movie or the actual events, <laughs> but the depiction in the movie is certainly what tugged me, tugged my heartstrings similarly that the crew spends, it's not a perfect match, but in Apollo 13, the crew retreats to the lunar module for life support in order to make their way their long way home to Earth. And then at the end of the story, that lunar module is not designed to get them down to Earth. They need to leave it behind. So they pile back into the command module and then cut it loose and it tumbles away. And that same feeling of it's an inanimate object. It doesn't mean anything. But, oh, that thing was our home for all this time. It has that same feeling as they're leaving the protostar and looking around at everything for the last time of this shouldn't hurt as much as it does, but it does.
1: Exactly. And especially they flip it right around, as all sci-fi shows like this do. We've invested so much into the protostar and we have waited to the last possible moment for it to be destroyed when it could have been destroyed at any point. And then as soon as they get back to Federation and they're a part of it, they just go, Oh yeah, that was a prototype. We've got a we got we've another, another one. one. We only just it's have better. a better. It's better. It's <laughs> much better. It's bigger, it's better, it's sexier, and it'll love you more than the original one ever did.
0: I Gotta shout out to the artists for the nebula, the sparkly nebula that forms when the protostar explodes and just it's played in silence, the music yes. drops away, the ship warps, and phew, this sparkly vision appears in the sky, and surely they're going to call that the Janeway Nebula or something it's like that. It's got to right? be.
1: It's got to be the Janeway Nebula.
0: But I was like, just like, I want to freeze that and use it as my desktop background for the next year. It was just such a beautiful piece of eye candy. They've excelled
1: themselves, haven't they? And like, How do you create... Like, They showed it in improvised hologram form of sort of like... Yeah, spontaneously, at the same time, exploding and traveling through warp or whatever, or going through warp. But to have like just these streams of light and these sprinkles throughout in this constant flow out into infinity was, yeah, was really divine. And they outdid themselves. Like we've been talking about the intergalactic vistas that we have seen on these animated shows that have really step things up. So the live action shows have got a lot to, and I don't know if they'll ever be able to actually match what has been created on Lower Deck and definitely Prodigy. Getting to see
0: San Francisco again in in an animated form in Starfleet Command was an unexpected treat. And we spend a good amount of time looking around there. There's a great website that I'll link to in the show notes. It has been just keeping track of the glimpses of future San Francisco and Starfleet Command that we've seen over the movies and the TV shows and like comparing them to each other. Where exactly is Starfleet Command? Is it on the north side of the Golden Gate Bridge or the south side? Yes. It, and is it to the east or to the west like where in present day does starfleet command exist in the future there's got to be um, some
1: tours in san francisco there's got to yes. be some star trek tours where people take them down to the bay and go this is where this is it has to be if there isn't come but on,
0: uh, yeah but it's a great article like comparing in different iterations the same buildings to each other right. and is this the same building or is it not like it has got that full-on excessively nerdy look at this stuff that Love i really it. appreciate and as far as i can tell the prodigy here has done a great job of matching what we've seen before yes uh, of, of starfleet command you get the golden gate bridge covered in solar panels and starfleet command is exactly where it should be at the northeast end of it which is the most common place for it to be now and, would, yeah great
1: would i be correct and say like in all the films, though, the one that spends probably the most time in San Francisco is probably the reboots. Because I know you see a bit of it in the motion picture. There's a little bit of it in two and three and four a bit. Especially, yeah, the Genesis trilogy, as I'm calling it now. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the would I say would the Pine films be the one where you see most of it? Because they're actually at the Academy. Into Darkness has the actual, like sky ship chase
0: with Khan and spock fighting it out on top of the ship that's hurtling through the streets of san francisco yes. so that's a pretty extensive tour there but i don't know about you i first of all alternate timeline alternate san francisco
1: it doesn't really matter doesn't right matter. it doesn't it, really matter it's the it multiverse matter. nothing matters yeah if you got <laughs> multiverse also, no stakes those
0: films As beautiful as they are, my memory of them is that it's a lot of CGI candy that does not necessarily ground you in any place, any sense of place. Maybe I need to go back and give them another shot. Don't do it to yourself. um, Don't do it
1: to yourself. Why would you do that to yourself? (laughs) You use the word beautiful to describe them. And they go, why would you say that? Why would you do that to yourself? Look. There's no wrong way of being a fan. Sometimes there's a wrong way of doing a reinterpretation of Khan, and they did that in Into Darkness.
0: Look, speaking of the Genesis trilogy, having the Proto-Star crew crash in the bay below the Golden Gate Bridge and get rescued from the water, what a nice echo of at the end of Star Trek Four!
1: Oh, look, if the ancestors of Georgia Gracie came up and gave him a bit of a high five, I would have loved that, but that's just me personally. So after the trial and a wonderful, inspiring speech from Janeway about what it Mm -hmm. is to be Starfleet and a beautiful line about there are 150 species members in the Federation and Dahl has 26 of them within him. So he is more Starfleet than pretty much all of us. And they're going, great. Okay. Can Janeway go back in time and say that about in Strange New Worlds as well? And all that issue will be out. It stood out to me in that speech that she used the words, our
0: alliance, Yes, several times in the speech, and it's it's an interesting framing of Starfleet and the Federation. There's always been that that strange duality of what is Starfleet, what is the Federation? Yes, like the Federation is the Alliance of planets, and Starfleet, Starfleet is, is the, the Navy for that alliance. Yeah. alliance. But the idea that it is an Alliance, that word to me strikes me as particularly militaristic. And I don't know if it was Janeway playing to the military brass and saying, remember the alliance and value the alliance. But that word to me, just it rang like a bell the couple of times that she said it that wasn't It isn't a community, it isn't a federation, it is an alliance, which has this military connotation that I just found interesting.
1: Yeah, as we've talked about before, ever since Star Trek II, where Nicholas Meyer pretty much made Hornblower in Space, which was so against Roddenberry's idea of the original federation, there has been this pull to what is the original Roddenberry concept and what is this militaristic advancement of Star Trek through other creative interpretive eyes. And especially if you're looking at it from a canonical point of view, but also a creative point of view, this is a post Dominion war where Starfleet is, and the Federation is in its biggest conflict in over a century, if not its entire existence. So that type of militaristic jargon and lingo has stayed within after all that it might be hard to break out of the system and we see with picard later on it's definitely seems still more quite militaristic as opposed to that we're a group of explorers getting together and let's find out what's awesome about the universe
0: some great teases about what we can expect in the future of prodigy here at the end the idea that they have created they have greenlit a protostar class of ship but that's not the one we're going on Janeway says, I have a bigger plan for us, her and her trainee crew, which for the, this is another one of those implausible situations to me that I'm happy to go with because of the strength of the story and the characters. But the idea that a rear admiral would be given a ship to train five trainees sounds like (laughs) an implausible use of resources for Starfleet, let's just say. So what? Look, because I was—you're not pretty- allowed into the classroom, but we'll put
1: you on a ship. <laughs> well, that's the—are they going to be on the ship with the rest of the crew, or is it just going to be like a copy of season one, where it's just now real Janeway with a gray gray streak in her hair? With I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, because I'm
0: not sure they figured it out themselves either. I think they need to work that out. Because we better
1: to bring back Jason Alexander's. Sassy for no reason, but then calms down. But then it becomes like a bitchy, almost racist character. And mm. we need to bring the number one, who I really liked. I liked the number that one, Andorian the Andorian. Guy. He yeah. was really good. He had that like yeah, yeah. distinguished Sherlock Holmesian nose. And
0: um, he was the straight man. It was. It is the the thankless task uh, of being the professional on the bridge who is working to follow the orders and get the job done.
1: Doesn't uh, get all the yeah, flashes yeah. and doesn't get all the bells and whistles. He just just comes in, does his work. Punches the clock and and walks away with my MVP. Oh, He's not my MVP. I don't know why I was even <laughs> saying that.
0: I think what we're going to see is a Voyager A. There is a tease of that. One of the one of the shuttles that is coming to rescue them over the bay has the registry number NCC 74656-A yeah. on it, which means Voyager A. That's where I think we're going in season. two. Yeah,
1: I was going to get to that. I was thinking, yeah, they've got to be getting on a Voyager. There's got to be if they're not doing a the Protostar, then it's got to be a Voyager. So we say goodbye to Gwen, and they have given her the name. We've had the Diviner, we've had the Vindicator, we had the we had <laughs> the Incubator, we had yeah. the we have the Unifier. What a wonderful one! That was a beautiful little moment. I yeah, it's I I'm that looking was, forward to. I hope they keep her in it because I
0: think they could easily write her out at this point and say, look, she goes off on that mission and hopefully all goes well. We'll maybe hear a line later that says she they made first contact and it's going better. They could go that way with it or they could keep her in as like a standing B plot for this series. And I hope they do. I hope we get to follow Gondala.
1: Look, yeah. I think that's where they'd be stupid not to do that if they—if it's split in two parts of the A plot is finding Chakotay. Or in many ways, the B plot will be Chakotay and the A plot will be Maybe. how the Sollens do that. But can the we...
0: whole crew is going with Janeway to find Chakotay. So I hmm. feel like that's got to be the A plot. I don't know what they're going to do. It's very weird to me that Gwyn is going off to try and make First Contact go better to change the future that and she's, Chakotay is stuck in that janeway is going to try and find Chicote in the bad future it's mind-bending look if gwyn succeeds does the future that Chicote is stuck in change
1: i don't know look i like people taking risks but they are taking a big swing the the prodigy writers and directors and the production oh, yeah. team they're going okay that like they have done well with season one they're going let's go all out we've got parallel dimensions. We've got time travel, which is always a bitch of a thing to write if you ask the the dean from community. When they
0: said that the Prodigy's explosion had created a temporal rift and that they got a signal from Jakote out of there. I kind of leaned back and crossed my <laughs> arms. I went, "Okay, that's the pill I'm being asked to swallow <laughs> here. That's the thing that makes the least sense of this entire episode. The episode would have been better if not for that, but they wanted that to set up
1: their season two. So they we'll have, see if it's worth it. But they've been constantly pushing Jakote's story back and back. And God bless yeah. Robert Bernard coming back to do the. That's another thankless role. Of coming and doing his voice, and then getting his voice echoed and repeated, and he say, oh cool! I'm going to be this cool, funky A plot in this animated Star Trek. Uh, there you B plot. Now you see. There you D. Or you might be A in season two. Oh, they're, ch- they're changing the gold. Ha- I'll be happy to see him back. I hope. I hope we
0: get a grumpier, grittier Chicote when we finally see him. Oh, he's got to
1: have. He's got to have a full-on Gandalf beard. And <laughs> surviving out there in the wilds, he's going to have, because he is, as I've spoken before, he is the dog of Voyager, so he's going to have his own tribe set up. I think there's going to be a tent and it pulls apart. He's got a harem of 90s women like the Ferengi from a couple of episodes ago when they're in the Delta Quadrants. Or maybe that's just my mind playing tricks on me. I don't know. What did you think of the kiss
0: or the kisses? We have two a, kisses. There was, a, there was an ill-advised kiss in part one and then the more consensual version. Part <laughs> two. I don't know. My my partner who was watching the, on the sofa next to me, she groaned, especially she groaned at the first kiss and then groaned again at the second kiss. And She's come like, on. Can we ever? Not have a romantic subplot here. Um, They're kids. They're supposed
1: to be kids. Yeah. And if you do not remember who you wanted to kiss and who you wanted to go steady with and who you wanted to, all that type of stuff played a massive part of being a kid. And I think it was handled. I found it quite adorable how as soon as it happened, Everyone was like, what the hell? What? I'm trying to tell you this and what? Oh, sorry. I'm trying to... what, what, what? Hey, cool. Ah. It was like, it's like a 80s sitcom magnified. But it, I thought it was a very cute, dignified, final goodbye with a touch. Yeah. Of, and it's hard to do an animation. It's hard to do mm. any type of, I feel as if I'm watching an AI program trying to become self-aware, but then the Simpsons episode where they are in the future, and, one, and the librarian turns to someone who goes, first they love each other, then they hate each other, and now they love each other again. I don't get it. And the person goes, that's because you're a robot. And then it cries and the head blows up and it melts. So that's what I feel about is going to happen whenever there's animated characters kissing. I don't know. That's just me. All right. Yeah. Okay. So with all that backstory, we get to the point of, I thought it was okay. It was all right. It wasn't <laughs> too cringy. Yeah. I think it maybe
0: only works because it was a farewell. They are going their separate ways. Yes. If season two became the story of the couple that is Gwyn and Dal, I'm not sure we'd
1: be watching the same TV show. Yeah. Let's put a pin. Let's put a pin in that, and let's mm. let's focus on exploration, discovery, saving the dog, and and saving Gwyn's planet because it, it was a truly tragic end of a first contact story. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more of that race. I think that's why I was pushing that to be the A-plot more is because they've spent so much time creating this whole new race and the backstory of its destruction would be, yeah, I would be quite surprised if they push that further back. No, no, this is what makes us unique to everyone else. We don't have this species anywhere else in Star Trek. So let's develop it more.
0: Zero gets a new body. Look, looks like it's designed by Apple. It's that's very Apple. Cool. It was very, <laughs> it was, it, oh, look, it's the I Zero. <laughs> that's right, the I Zero. I'm sure it'll be the hot new toy when <laughs> season two comes out. Rock Talk chooses a field of science with xenobiology, which is pretty cool. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, Rock Talk is doing so well with all the sciences. Yeah. It seems a little bit, why should she just do I choose? why choose why not everything do if you can do everything you do it and you've been doing really well like managing five or six different sciences and for me i was a bit uh, okay so you're just gonna animals is great animals are great species from different everyone that's awesome but they're going oh okay
0: that's Jankum seems to be the like settling into engineering classes and learning not to use the hammer but to use the drill now and, then. and
1: it fits in well, because that's where, that's where you get your O'Briens and your Scotties and even Torres Delano, in some ways that the salt of the earth type of, ah, let's sort this out while everyone else is being highbrow and yeah. stuff like that. The Jankum's perfectly fit, suited for the, uh, for the orange jumpsuit. Yeah, for sure.
0: I'm not sure I caught an end for Murph in this.
1: Murph, Murph's just
0: in Starfleet. <laughs> just in Starfleet. Murph Accepted. just showed up. Look, Murph very slapped- early in Supernova part two, there is a shot. People walk onto the bridge and Murph, no one comments on it, but Murph is sitting in the captain's chair. And I was like, I don't know about that. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah,
1: we did, there we are a did, lot of high stakes buttons on that captain's chair. We did have Murph jump up and give the raspberry, then also slap there behind in front of Dreadnought. So yeah. not only just uh, showing the backside. Like that was a full-on multiple slap. I I slapped it. I did not feel bad for Murph when he got frozen to the wall.
0: (laughs) I said, "Serves you (laughs) right, little Murph." Yeah,
1: grow up a bit. Come on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, anything else you want to call out in in Supernova?
1: Nah, like I said, I like how they spent that time—the second half of the episode—focusing on them settling in and getting that preparation for season two. It made it very much feel like we didn't have to rush our way through. We took our time. And I appreciated that to to get them that feel and get used to them within Star Fleet. But like I said, I'm going to be very interested to see whether it moves forward or whether it just becomes just another Star Trek show, because there was something unique about this race of all aliens, which has never been done on Star Trek before. Not a part of the Federation, but following those ideals. Obviously, they couldn't keep that up forever, but how they can advance what makes Prodigy unique without just blending it into another Star Trek show.
0: So the thing we called out in Supernova that we wanted to explore in Star Trek history was the sacrifice of the protostar. Yes. The decision to scuttle a ship in order to save the crew or save the day. As the case may be. Definitely. Definitely a big moment every time it happens, and it hasn't happened that often in Star Trek history. Look, uh, it, ha-
1: it has happened quite a lot in the the Christopher Pine versions. It's either the Enterprise blowing up or being destroyed or being ripped apart or being half to self destruct. I think it's happened in all three. Uh, yeah, it was destroyed at the end of the first one, and it was destroyed again at the end of the second one, and it was almost destroyed. On the third one, and it was ravaged to almost 80% destroyed, but they still ambled it back to Starfleet. So I don't think we're including any of those because there's alternate history. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. matter, The Kelvin line, the Kelvin timeline. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, none of those made any emotional impact because if you keep on doing it, (laughs) you lose the emotional impact.
0: Okay, so let's, yeah, let's apply that filter. Emotionally impactful sacrifices of starship. Definitely,
1: definitely. Do you want to pick a first one? Well, I'll pick, okay, okay. I'm coming back to it. I come back to it all the time and I don't know why. It's one that I don't watch. And this is one of the other reasons why I don't watch it anymore. Because it it ripped out my heart when it killed, when they killed David. And then it ripped out my heart because this is the first time ever of this iconic vision as a young man when they f- destroyed the Enterprise. For me, the first time in Star Trek Three, The Search for Spock, when they destroyed the Enterprise, when Kirk goes, what have I done? I went, yeah, what the hell have you done? <laughs> but I didn't even hear McCoy going, what you had to do. of that. Okay. That was real. Like the heartache of it, of having to blow up the Enterprise with the Klingons on board. And it's also, it's, it, it's a very much a Kirk move. Sure, I'm going to blow up the ship, but I'm going to take a lot of Klingons with them. That's right. Yeah. The, ah,
0: the shot where the entire surface of the softer section bursts. Just lifts off. And it just lifts off and flies off in pieces. So iconic. I am amazed. And also not surprised that they couldn't resist putting it in the trailer to the movie. Like you went to Star Trek three, knowing you were going to see (laughs) that moment because it was in all the trailers. Yeah. But when you make something that, that looks that amazing, you kind of have to put it in the trailer.
1: And it's a tense moment as well, because they're, they're teleporting on and the boys are teleporting off. You've got Christopher Lloyd doing incredible stuff of getting out, get out, get out of there. Yeah, just yeah. Wonderful. Oh, amazing. Performance. John Larroquette is one of the, them, I think, and he gets blown up on the ship. And also that, that shot of perspective. So we've got it from front up and you see the front dish section just implode up and it's incredible. Yeah. But then you have the shot of them from the planet of Genesis looking up and just see that trail the of flaming fire. comet. It's such a ship. small, oh, yeah. Beautiful.
0: Beautiful. Heartbreaking. It m- makes it feel so tangible. Like how many ship explosions have we seen that it's just like a superimposed fireball as the ship like fades out? This was not that. This was, it was a storyboarded, there are pieces
1: to this destruction. It feels, yeah, very physical. It, uh, yeah, it does. It feels real. And we talked about it before. It's another one of those sacrifices that Kirk put on the table So that he could get his friend back. So that resurrection of Spock is earned, but by the amount of loss. And so for me, the first time ever I saw the Enterprise, I'm going, this is their ship. And so much, so it's gone that we don't get it again for pretty much an entire movie. So it's incredible, powerful moment As for young Rob watching it when I was like about 10, 11, it was heartbreaking to go I'm there going, well, okay, so. Not only- What does it mean? Yeah. Is Star Trek over? Does that mean we're done? Does that mean- Yeah. We've got Spock back now, but do they just take a bus to each planet now? Is this what we do now? Is it- Yeah, yeah. Star- Is it a star bus? Anyway, Busk. <laughs> anyway, so. It was a payoff to
0: something that was established in the original series in the episode Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, which is memorably the allegorical episode where the two halves of the race one has white on the right side and black on the left side, and yes. the other one is reversed, and they're at each other's throats for that reason. In that episode, the Enterprise is commandeered and Kirk threatens to blow it up. And there is a protracted sequence where they give all of their authorization codes and start the countdown timer and then abort it at the last second. But in Star Trek Three, they use the exact same command codes as they did in that original episode. And we get to see the destruction through to completion. So it was a nice payoff for the fans
1: as well, that moment. And how was that for you? Like I talked about, young Rob at ten eleven seeing it for the first time. How was young? Yeah,
0: I m- must have been about the same age, and it hit me just as much. Like it was like this: the Enterprise is the constant of Star Trek, mm. and you have blown it up in such a devastatingly comprehensive way here. Like there is no, there's no sense that oh, it could come back from that. Yeah, they could rebuild that. It'll buff out. There is no it. Breaks up in the atmosphere, mm. and yeah, I had that same hollow sense of this is the irreplace, even more than Kirk, this is the irreplaceable character of Star Trek that has just died before our eyes.
1: And it did take it out of. How does Star Trek go on af- after this? Exactly, and it's real. In many ways, it's where it really like everyone talks about Star Trek two being when Star Trek finally made it as a movie. Whereas Star Trek, the motion picture has the great Robert Wise, big sweeping widescreen shots. But Star Trek 3 is the really one where it's not that episodical type thing of like ship gets into a scrape and everyone's back together again and they're fine. Sure, we had Spock die in Star Trek 2, but this is the one where they go, no, this is a story that just doesn't reset. So you don't go to Star Trek 4 and everything restarts again you have lost your ship, you have lost your son, you've lost all this stuff. And this is the point where I went, this is not just a Star Trek episode on television on a big screen. This is where they're actually putting in movie stakes, if you were,
0: And this is why it echoes what we just saw in Prodigy so much for me, is like Prodigy as well, we have that sense that the show is going to be completely different in season two. Yeah. When they open the hangar, And the new protostar class ship was sitting there. I was like, oh no, they're rolling it back. (laughs) And then they said, but we're not going on that. We're doing something different and good on them to honor the ship by saying the line will go on. But our story is going somewhere else because the destruction of the protostar marks a point of no return where everything will be different.
1: And it's interesting because like you said, we were introduced into Star Trek with the opening credits was the Enterprise going from one side of the screen to the next, and that has been copied with every other subsequent Star Trek show, whether you've got the next generation, new form of the Enterprise sweeping through, or you've got wonderful shots of admiring the pylons on Deep Space Nine. And even with Prodigy, the opening sequence was the protostar. So they're going, but even though... We've copied the exact same style of our opening credits as we've been doing for the last 50 years. What makes Prodigy isn't the ship, it's the cast. So I was be interesting to see whether they carry on with that. So it's even though its opening credits were the protostar front and center, it doesn't matter what ship they're on. It's the cast that are more important and that's never really been done before. And so the ship has become such an invaluable part of the body of it, like people say about a Woody Allen movie or Ghostbusters, oh, New York's another character in the film. It is really is a case of the ship has become a character. So it'll be interesting mm. to see whether they discard that for the first time. Am I saying that another animated show is doing some continuity defying or canon defying shifts with the protocol Lower Decks did with this whole class of AI ships? we we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. I hope not. So yeah, any other? Yeah, they weren't that many. I had a bit of a look around
0: too. No, and- look, there is nothing that as is as strong a match as the destruction of the Enterprise in Star Trek three. And well done to them. Like, how many times has Star Trek tried to go back to the well in one way or another, of what what worked in those three films, mm-hmm. especially Wrath of Khan? So often they're like, let's make Khan again. Let's make let's Khan, make Khan another- again. Another,
1: but now with Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch. Yeah. And instead of Spock dying, we'll have Kurt dying. Because <laughs> it's innovative and new. Anyway. So taking
0: an emotional beat from that film and not exactly replaying it, but finding that kind of emotional place again is something that is rarely done as successfully as we just saw mm. in with the Protostar. Okay. I did have a few to call out but they are relatively small. So the first one I could think of was in the original series episode, The Doomsday Machine. The big, like, it's worth watching again. If you have not watched the original series since it was remastered, this to me is the most visual effects heavy episode of the original series. It's got that big sort of what would you call it? Like a, a cornucopia sort of yes. uh, planet killer device. It's and what's, got a fiery maw at the front.
1: And what season What season is that one?
0: It is season two, episode six of Star Trek, the original series. So we're so, right in the middle right, of right,
1: prime, prime yeah, Star prime
0: Trek. Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, I'm guessing more money than they ever spent on visual effects in any other episode of the original series. And so the remaster, they likewise spent a, an inordinate number of... of hours, remaking all of that in CG. And it looks glorious. In that episode, this planet killing machine, they try to stop it. The phasers bounce off of it. It's crippled starships. They don't know what to do. It's heading for populated centers. And the solution ultimately is to ram a full ship, the USS Constellation, if memory serves. Yes. A captain pilots it down, pilots the ship down the, because the autopilot or whatever is damaged, captain has to go down with the ship, the captain pilots it into the maw of the doomsday device, it explodes and is neutralized. So an early example of a ship that it was already badly damaged. The captain was a little unhinged by that point as well, because oh, it's tragic. He had beamed his crew down to a planet so that they would be safe and then the planet killer ate the planet the crew on it so oh. he was a broken man after that yeah. um so like this was his redemption to be able to save the day by steering his ship into the device it's a good one the other ones that come to mind this is not so much a match the next generation season 3 episode 5 yesterday's enterprise where the enterprise c appears into the future where it doesn't belong and the entire timeline changes because they escaped a fateful battle defending a Klingon outpost, and then history does not remember them coming to the aid of that Klingon outpost, and as a result, Starfleet and the Federation has been at war with the Klingons for 22 years by the time of this episode. So we get to see the Enterprise-D transmuted into a warship, and Guinan is the only one who knows something is wrong, and convinces Picard that what has to happen to avert this 20-year war that everyone else figures like it's facts of life. She says this war could have been completely averted if the Enterprise-C had just been destroyed at Narendra 3. And so the rest of the episode is Picard wrestling with the decision and then everyone planning to send the Enterprise-C back into the time rift where they know it's a suicide mission. They're going to get destroyed by the Romulans when they get there. But they decide to sacrifice the ship with what's left of the crew aboard. And even a volunteer Tasha Yar manning the tactical station and fans know what what ends up happening to tasha yar as a result of her presence in the past there as well
1: yes we do yes we do i've got another one i found was from voyager star trek voyager you probably found this as well deadlock Ooh, i did not remember deadlock give it to me ah so it's a it's a season two episode 21 it's a famous episode for many reasons where we have the birth the newborn Naomi wildman this is, uh, of course, yes. before Seven of Nine has built their relationship with them, but they're being chased down by the Vedians. The that's right. Mm-hmm. So th- this is the early days of Voyager where the main arcing villain, they tried the Kazon's and that didn't really work. The so they, then they tried the Vedians, who were the organ harvesting creatures. And so they are on their way to taking over the ship. And for whatever reason, some way, shape or form, there are two Voyagers created. There's a the Overly damaged Voyager and the regular Voyager, Janeway and Janeway discuss the only way that they could solve this problem is that damaged Voyager has to self-distract so they can save the day. So it's that, that the greater good is sacrificed. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the many on a parallel version of it. So there's two Voyagers and one has to be destroyed to, to stop the Vidians and this calamity happening. And our newborn Naomi Wildman's there with the points on her head and we all think, How did that I hope oh gee, I hope it was a, <laughs> Hope that baby was teleported out. Was it have you watched it recently? No, I haven't. Yet? I do no. want to go back and watch it because the Videans were a rather creepy creation. And... The
0: Videans were great. Yeah. I was sad to see them left behind, but that's how Voyager went. Yep. Forward, uh, ever forward. Yeah, there there were at least a couple of times. Deadlock is one of them, and there's another one where there's like a copy of voyager that ends up like evaporating in space like it's made up of this shape-shifting matter that is conscious and convinces itself that it is the ship and crew of voyager but they all start melting and it's it's like a tragic end as they fall apart and then are discovered by the real voyager who go oh like what's this weird cloud in space i don't know let's keep going
1: that's right yeah 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 and it is that sort of like moment of there. go oh what's this weird thing oh doesn't matter Oh. Not so
0: much a sacrifice as a glimpse of an ill fate of Voyager. Yeah. Like, what if Voyager didn't make it home? Let's play out one of those scenarios <laughs> and do some sci-fi cheating so that it doesn't count. The other one, the only other one on my list, that was another one of those. It is Star Trek Voyager season four, episodes eight and nine, Year of Hell. Ah, yes. Which is another alternate timeline episode, where for a year and. It is like it is a very epic to parter because again and again throughout this these episodes we jump forward in time and there's a title card that says like day forty-six, day one hundred and twenty-nine. And this is really a story of what if Voyager didn't make it home? What if one of the species whose territory they entered along the way was Menacing enough, warlike enough, and effective enough at whittling down Voyager so that they ultimately didn't make it home. And there is the big cliffhanger between the two parts is the moment that Janeway finally decides staying, asking the crew to stay on this ailing, increasingly damaged Voyager is a death sentence. And she sends them all out in the escape pods and says, we will we will meet again on the other side. I look forward to hearing your interesting stories when we do, but you can see it in her face. You can hear it in her voice that she doesn't believe it as she's saying it. And then part two is the skeleton crew of just the bridge crew left on the ship trying to keep it running. They hide in in a nebula, and because most of the hull is missing, the nebula seeps into the ship and they have to deal with the toxic gases. And ultimately, Janeway and Voyager sacrifices itself at the end. Janeway, last person standing on the ship, the rest of the bridge crew is transported to some ally ships and Janeway is left alone on board, uh, on the bridge. And she chooses to ram the time ship that is responsible for this alternate timeline that, that occupies this entire episode. And, but it's not so much of a sacrifice as the other ones we've seen because Janeway knows what she's doing and she's doing it. She says, everyone drop your time shields. When I hit this thing, if I'm lucky, it will reset the timeline and none of this will have ever happened. But nevertheless, we get to see Voyager... Nose first into another ship and crumple yes. and burst into flames. And we know Janeway is sitting in the pilot seat when that happens. So it does have, it definitely does have an echo of what we saw in Prodigy this week with with Janeway captaining the ship on its fateful final warp. Definitely. Definitely. There you go. Certainly many more instances of self-destructs being started and then aborted at the last minute or attempted and not working because they, the ship is too badly damaged. Many threats of ship self-destruction, but going through with it is a surprisingly rare event.
1: Exactly. And if Galaxy Quest has taught us anything, it only gets to one and then it doesn't actually blow up that's right yeah because that's how it's true every, all self-destruct episodes go so yes well it's good to explore again go back into star trek 3 why does it star trek 3 and star trek 5 keep them drawing us back in um, i'll keep finding excuses uh, until you watch it again yeah Robert. that's right that's right it is all <laughs> you are the. this is the season finale of subspace radio it was your plan yes. all along